You are listening to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and with me today via Skype is contributor Corey Everett. Hey, Corey. Hey, what's up? Not much. Uh, managing editor Kevin Jagernith. How's it going, Kevin? Good, man. Good, good, good. And, of course, our fearless leader, Rodrigo Perez. How's it going, RP? Good. How are you guys? Good, good, good. It's, uh, it's good to have you guys on. Um, uh, over at the playlist on the IndieWire blog network, we occasionally like getting together to discuss a topic we feel is worthy and large enough to sustain a whole podcast. Today, we're gathered to talk about the idea of auteur worship in cinema, why we love them, why some love them too much, and why this affects, defines, and potentially hurts criticism. Uh, to kick things off, let's start with our thoughts on the film that kind of spurred this topic, Terrence Malick's To the Wonder, which is, is out in most uh, art house theaters in major cities right now. Um, Corey, and VOD. Oh, and VOD. Yeah, don't forget that. Um, uh, yeah, so Corey, why don't uh, you want to lead off with, uh, with your thoughts on Terrence Malick's To the Wonder? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I caught this at um, Toronto last year, which uh, I believe is also where Kevin saw it. And uh, I was really not a fan. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I probably run counter to a lot of people where I'm uh, more of a fan of uh, Terrence Malick's earlier movies than I have been his last couple. Uh, but even even so, like Tree of Life, I found a lot that I enjoyed in it but it still left me a little bit cold overall uh but this was really uh this movie did nothing for me honestly it i thought it was basically like a series of uh taped acting rehearsals it just there was nothing <laughs> for me to grab onto, and it, it even seemed like the actors in the scenes were just lost and like had no direction nothing to work with and it i, I couldn't even kind of buy into like okay, these are characters and I'm just watching something kind of play out wordlessly. It just honestly seemed like kind of, yeah, basically rehearsals that were kind of taped and strung together and it just uh, didn't work for me at all. Okay, okay. Kevin, how about you, man? Uh, I'm the polar opposite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I It's not my favorite Malick film by, by any stretch. Um, there's certainly a lot of problems with it. Um, but for me, I, I found um, the sort of emotion running through it to be a, a powerful thing, and and the themes that that he's addressing with love and faith and and things like this uh, pretty rare. Like we don't really see many filmmakers, American or otherwise, kind of taking it on or doing it in a style that's so earnest. And um, for sure, I, I think it's off-putting. It can be off-putting, and I know uh, there's more than a few people who feel that way. But uh, for me, uh, you know, those issues aside, like the problems that it does have, uh, what's going on beneath beneath all that is just so is so compelling that it really spoke to me. Um, so yeah, I I dug it. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, RP, how about you, man? Uh, I I'm, I'm I guess I'm I guess one could say I'm leaning closer towards Corey. I just um, I I admire it and I admire its exploration and um, its its uh, desire to strip down narrative to and and its um, you know I kind of see it as more like uh, fleeting um, ephemeral glimpses of memory and 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 longing. Um, you know, it's sort of it's almost like a a long series of recollections about someone you loved and. Um, you know, and then there's the whole faith and spirituality theme and, and I like all that on paper. It just, um, uh, it just doesn't really move me very much. You know what I mean? Like at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I just, I'm just not emotionally very engaged. I'm, I'm engaged, uh, occasionally here and there, 
Um, there's a few moments that are like kind of beautiful, but I'm just it's like Terrence Malick's work generally um, when it's you know he's generally exploring something, and then he usually produces some kind of um, you know wonder and awe. And and I feel like this fell a little short of that. It's it's not it's not as yeah it's just not as I guess deep if you want to say that than that I found his his previous films. No, I mean I totally agree, uh, Rod. I I, I kind of think the big problem with this movie is that it's as shallow as a Michael Bay movie in a lot of ways. I mean maybe I, first off, now that I just said that, I do want to avoid hyperbole as much as possible on this podcast. <laughs> and I know I just late. I know I know I just did that, but um. I feel like I can back it up in a lot of ways because I land Corey basically transcribed my thoughts on this film. I honestly, this is one of the worst movies I've seen this year. And it really hurts me to say that. Because well, I, see, I well, here's the, say, well, hang on, hang on. Let's like shallow in what way? I mean, so okay. and also not, worst movie of the year. That's, that's hyperbole. I know, I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm, I'm putting it up there with films that I really did not like as much. And it, so by calling it one of the worst films of the year, it's a personal choice. Like I've, right. I've seen a lot, especially in the last few months of, um, of films that have kind of blown me away. I feel like the last two months have been incredible for uh, 2013 for movie releases. And so I'm comparing it against a lot of movies that have floored me, like literally like uh, in, in the moment while I'm watching them. And also after the fact, I just can't stop thinking of them. I'm specifically is- thinking of like Spring Breakers, Place Beyond the Pines, Trance, films like this. And then I go to see To the Wonder and... Is it unfair to compare to movies that have nothing to do with the kind of movie it is? Yes, but I was left cold and frustrated by the time this movie was over. But to get into to specifics, Kevin, because that's the only way I can back up a, a hyperbolic statement like that, which I admit it was. You talked about the themes involved in this film, like just a little bit, Kevin. And mm-hmm. for me, this movie actually betrays one of its main themes. And to me, the, the big theme was choice. Uh, the fact that Ben Affleck is this, it's a very simple, almost non-story. Ben Affleck has to choose between two women for the most part. Can we all agree that that is mainly what this movie is about? I kind of, I kind of disagree, but okay. yeah, I okay. kind of disagree too. Let me follow this thread and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go back to yes. Um, I think it's mostly about choice for the Ben Affleck character and he, and you know, you could argue that he's not even the main character, but I'm, but still he, he needs to choose between two women. He actually does that at one point in the movie but then the way the film is done is that we're, we're led to believe that um, the, the, the women in his life, specifically, let's just go with the Olga Kirilenko character. He, he chooses her. I, th- I don't think it's a spoiler to say. He chooses to be with her. But the way that the film uh, portrays her is that we're always kind of seeing um, – she personally, I, th- I found her to be a very annoying character – and we're seeing that it's it's the, the the tactic that Malik takes in making her this sort of grand. It's a very similar type that he's been doing in in cinema, in his movies lately, as far as like making. Yeah, he idealizes idealizes women. Exactly. Okay. And but to this point that they become, um, there I could see your 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 use of the word shallow. Where I don't think her character is shallow, I think she comes off a little bit shallow because all she's doing you. is twirling. Yes. Yes. And you know, like he idealized. Jessica Chastain as this divine mother into the wonder and it wouldn't become oh, tree, what, of life, tree of life tree sorry tree of life yeah and then he did the same thing with um the I forget her name the 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 the, the native Indian girl yes in um, Bianca um Kilcher or whatever. the new world mm-hmm. and, and and so in in with good intentions of like trying to 
you know, in, in his own way, I guess, worship. The danger there is that he's creating reductive singular yes. characters with no um, much of an identity. They are projections of other people's feelings. But that's also part of the point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but but it gets dangerous because and, – and, and I think it works in Tree, Tree of Life and I think it works in, in the New World. And this is where I think it doesn't work here because she's just this – like she's just this idealized uh romantic Cypher. yeah exactly yeah and to me that doesn't work in this film i, I yeah, agree no, I because agree. i agree because she is made she's actually made she comes off as more annoying and grating when she's the one that actually has a really good point in the movie like ben affleck needs to get up like if anything she's really annoying because she um she she believes in this thing that I think Malik does too. And like love is this like thing that will kind of cure all or, or uh, love is something that makes two people into one. I find it to be a really immature movie in a lot Man, of ways I, too. I, I took a totally different reading. I think okay. to the wonder is a lot harsher about arcade or about people's ability to love than, than, than I admit, than the relatively simplistic characters project. I think the film here is saying that it's really hard to love someone completely because we're in a world of spiritual loss and, and things like that. I think there's, and that's for me, what would made the film so compelling is that you have these really beautiful images and, you know, beautiful actors and, and all of this, but the underlying sort of point is that it's really, really hard to devote yourself fully to one person or to a love, because I think what Malik is trying to say is that, you know, we live in this world that's sort of spiritually abandoned or God has left us or whatever. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, that really spoke to me um, in the film. And, and in terms, and I don't think he's necessarily saying that, you know, love will cure all. Um, I think with, uh, with within the film, um, Affleck has this relationship. And then it, when it starts to sour, he's, he's almost looking nostalgically at the past when maybe that's not ideal with Rachel McAdams. I mean, I I think there's a lot more things going on there than just love is, is curing everything, so let's go twirl in the field. <laughs> I think, but there's I think a lot the, of twirling. Go ahead, Corey. Sorry. I was going to say, Kevin, I think the movie you're describing sounds like a really interesting one. And like on paper, that's why I was <laughs> actually interested in, you know, Malik doing this uh, – kind of broken love story in a contemporary setting like it sounds like something different it sounds like something that could be really interesting um for him to explore it's just the execution of it i just did not i didn't think worked at all you know it, as um eric was saying it just kind of graded on me the way that there was just scene to scene nothing for me to really grab onto, and uh you know no mm. kind of relatable behavior and i wasn't really swept away in the beauty of it and it just I mean, it really didn't have almost anything to offer me. I mean, it wasn't even kind of a mixed feeling of certain scenes were working for me and others weren't. It just the entire movie kind of flatlined where I just kind of rejected it as, you know, this isn't the way people behave and I'm not, um, I'm just not interested in it. Yeah. Can I jump in here for a second? Mm -hmm. Part of this discussion, you know, we're talking about criticism and um, I think what maybe is 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 um i find myself taking this position often because it it just comes naturally to me but um there's a tendency to jump to like you know the worst film of the year the best film of the year mm -hmm. i feel like there's 
this is bad, this is great. I feel like there needs to be, and this is part of our, this should be part of our larger conversation and the longer, the larger conversation and discourse about how we consume movies, how we, uh, criticism is, is trying to understand. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily love to the wonder, but I'm trying to understand it. And I feel like Kevin is like, you know, making some, uh, and I agree with Corey at the same point. I'm, I think Kevin is describing a movie that I didn't personally feel so much, but I think he's absolutely right that those are the, the things that Malik is going for. It doesn't necessarily, and I totally see that, it just doesn't necessarily emotionally move me or mm. didn't like, those are the things he's going for, but it doesn't really penetrate me. But anyhow, I, I guess I guess part of this conversation as I would always um as sort of a plea to to try and understand, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and try and uh, understand what a filmmaker is going for, and 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 to I don't know. I you know sometimes you don't want to get um, too reductive because that's um, dangerous and unhealthy to the discourse in general. I I totally agree, and I'm really glad you brought that up, Rod, because I know I know what I sounded like, the things I said. I I believe. That is my belief in film criticism as well, exactly what you're saying. I think that's that's a big part of what the playlist is all about, is not so much the letter grade as it is the review. You know, Roger Ebert used to say that. Don't look at the four stars or the three stars. Read my review, and you'll know if if right, the movie right. is worth. And and even though well, I— Well, and then, and then I, on, on going on that, so like, don't worry about the review or the star. Don't compare the star— to a star on another film because exactly orange exactly. and apples and then going back to your earlier point eric those other films trance etc etc you loved have nothing to do with this movie yes and you should take this movie on its own and it and it's it, it and and review it and judge it on its own merits and you shouldn't come in with like it's supposed to be this i was expecting this expectations have nothing to do with movies yep i yep. mean they're always there and you're gonna assume a movie is this or that but it really shouldn't have anything to do with your evaluation of a movie you may have expected something but so what um you should try and strip yourself of expectations when you're reviewing a movie and i feel like you should just uh evaluate it on and on on its own and its own merits and like you know a b plus for a movie is is a different from a b plus for c movie because they're totally different movies and you're and you're grading them independently here here i totally agree and I do think you can compare it to other movies of its ilk. I've always thought that that's fair to do in a review. So why don't we do the only thing we can really compare this to, I think, is other Malick movies. Um, is it, I mean, do you guys think that's worth getting into a little bit? Because I think No, it not is. so much. I think no? it's the same thing. It's like they're all different beasts. I mean, yes. I mean, then, really, and then though? We're getting, are they? I mean, yeah, this, but then oh, we're also yeah, getting into, sure. and, and then we're also getting into or tourism, like mm-hmm. our exact subject. It's yep. like this person, this this thing that they do, and then, you know, this this style, this 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 brand. That's what worries me about tourism or, mm-hmm. or the subscription. Like I subscribe to this auteur, is that it's like um, it, it to me. It's a bit of um, that. This is the brand. You know, this is like this is the Matador records that I that someone loved in their nineties, or or this <laughs> is the the Nike that I love to wear or, you know, the things that define you and, and, and then the, to create your identity. Like that to me is um, unhealthy and, and, and it doesn't help the discourse either. It's people tend to rally around someone and, and you know, the Calle de Cinema guys, or you could argue were just fanboys who, mm-hmm. who were like, hey, um, you know, this is the things that I love and I'm going to rally around it. And I mean, it's all built in passion, so there's nothing wrong with it, but it can, it can curdle and coalesce into a way that's unhealthy. And, and so like, I guess we're getting into that whole, you know, this is kind of what I wanted to get into, like the yeah. idea of like, of, of 
not necessarily or true worship, although that's part of it, but like that's sort of where it blinds you. And, and it's like, this is the brand I love and this is therefore I'm supposed to love this and those kinds of ideas, I guess. Right. And I, I would say that um, I've never been a huge, I could never be described as a fanboy of Terrence Malick, but I do think his first three films, Badlands, Days of Heaven, and then the 20 year gap to Thin Red Line are fantastic. Especially I think Badlands and Days of Heaven are easily masterpieces, I would say. But he's he's losing me with these last three films. New World, I wasn't very big on. I've kind of reappreci- reappreciated on a second viewing. Tree of Life, I think, has an hour or an hour and a half of just brilliance in there. But it's bookended by these modern day segments that to me just didn't work. So I, I couldn't be described as a fanboy of him. But I do think he's, I can say that I liked him at one point And I don't, so I'm cautious about going into his films now. Um you know, is there, do you guys, any of you agree or disagree with that as far as Malik or are there other filmmakers of this ilk that, that this has happened uh, for you? Well, uh, again, I, I'm just like, I'm a little wary of defining it by like, I like or slash love or adhere to this person. I'm an adherent of this person's films and now I'm like, and do not like, you know? It's okay. Just, okay. Uh, well, uh, can I just ask, Rod, is the reason you're getting into this, do you feel like people are reviewing this movie and maybe giving it a pass or trying to find things to love in it because they love Malick? Mm-hmm. And is that where this came up? Yes and no. Yes, what you just said. No, in, in the sense that I think I, I think that's in general in, 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 in what happens. You I don't know what think I mean? anyone... I think I don't think I anyone think is giving To the Wonder a pass. I mean, it's probably his worst-reviewed movie in his career. That's true. Um, and and and, but I just think in, I think it applies in general to auteurs. Corey, mm-hmm. like your, okay. your your exact question. I, I think it's it's beyond Malik, and I think it it uh, applies to 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 many auteurs. And then and then it also like Kevin says, there was worst-reviewed film. Is it because he is an auteur? Is it because we and other people love him and are adherence to him and they have a certain expectation of him and this doesn't fit into his so-called album scheme is this not you know is this uh i don't know is this the bad tom waits record 10 years down the road that i don't love so much or you know what i mean that kind of thing i pretty much agree with 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 what rod says i mean i think I think there's nothing wrong with being a fan of a filmmaker lord knows i'm a fan of many filmmakers but at the same time uh, it doesn't mean that I just sort of blindly love everything they do. I, I kind of, I'm interested to see where they go, what they decide to do. And I think auteurism also is damaging to filmmakers. I think it kind of mm. can cause people to, to box them into certain boxes that might be unfair. Um, I agree. So, so yeah. I, I think there's, there's nothing wrong with being, passionate about a filmmaker nothing wrong with being excited by a filmmaker but i do think it's important to always keep an open mind to always to always be able to be critical um when they're not good and also be able to see when they're when they're doing well and to celebrate it so uh i think there is there is something to be said for being cautious and for being open-minded because i think the most exciting filmmakers for me for me are the ones that change and evolve and try different things and that's what makes me excited to be a, f- a fan of a filmmaker. I don't want to see someone doing the same thing for twenty years. Like uh, to me, to that's be just fair, to be to be fair, um, uh, I completely agree with you. But some of my film favorite filmmakers, and I think the favorite filmmakers of um, 
uh, of others, including some of you guys, are, are doing the same thing over and over again. We could argue that Terrence Malick does the same thing over and over again. He's exploring the same kind of themes and ideas over and over again. I would definitely say James Gray does that, Kevin, and that's someone that you and hmm. I like. And I think Wes James Anderson. Gray is almost yeah. Wes Anderson's the big yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Um, and and so there's something to be said about that. Well, I, I think don't want to completely discount it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something. And, but then there's the opposite. There's the Soderbergh or the. Danny I guess Boyle. what I what I'm driving at is um, uh, filmmakers who, even if they repeat the same sort of themes, they're doing it in interesting ways. Right, right. Rod, yeah. do you, but do that, Rod, I mean, oh, go I, ahead, Corey, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, but I think if you're following a filmmaker, it kind of the same uh, criticism could apply, regardless of whether they're doing the same thing or they're doing different things. Because if there's somebody like Soderbergh who's trying at least on the surface to do different things every time out that's something you respond to so you can follow him just as well as you could follow Wes Anderson who is much more making the same type of movie in the same type of way but it doesn't I don't see that the criticism wouldn't apply if you're as much of a fan of someone who does something different you know what I mean Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah following the filmmaker is kind of following the filmmaker regardless of whether you expect them to give you something similar to what you like or whether you like that you're always going to get something different I think it's kind of uh, uh, you know, the same the same um, skepticism should apply to whatever they do next, regardless of if it's going to be you know similar or different to what they did last time. That's a good point. I think that there is value in in beyond you know you follow a filmmaker and and looking and seeing trends or you know kind of looking at their filmography as a whole. I, I do enjoy that personally, and um, I'm just curious if you guys think that there's no value in that or, or any at all. Why don't we start with Oh, Ron? there absolutely is. I mean, okay. I think that's why half of us are here. Right. You know okay. I, mean? yeah. I think that's why most of us are here. Yeah. I'm not saying that, that you can't – I'm not saying tourism is the worst thing in the whole world. I'm <laughs> not saying you can't like, like a – you know, I, I'm just saying people need to be aware of the idea of the, you know, of, of – um, the the potential uh, I, I think some of it can be detrimental to the discourse mm-hmm. and so that's why I see be wary of the brand you know what I mean like don't just like I I, I guess to, to give a little quick specific example I, I saw someone on Twitter and they were talking about Spielberg and they were saying something was amazing and this is a person I'm not going to say who they were but they were um, uh, they were uh, bringing up something that was pretty schmaltzy and in the hands of uh, any other critic or any other filmmaker they would have destroyed because mm-hmm. you know what I mean but because it was Spielberg it was okay mm-hmm. and, and I find that kind of unfortunate yeah the, um, the pass that people will give certain, yes, certain yeah. directors and, yeah. and I, I would argue that like Stoker got a pass because it was Chanwick Park <laughs> I mean I know I was really hard on that film and and, and I'm sure in retrospect like that's such a, a pan and such a reductive, like, I hate. Um, but I just didn't, I just felt like that no, movie was... your review was spot on, man. I disliked it as much as you did. I think your review was, <laughs> was the the points and the film that you saw and that experience that you put into your review, Rod, was, was accurate. I saw the same things. It's just, I got to be honest, I read your review after seeing the film. I reread it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to argue Stoker is a great movie, but I mm-hmm. enjoyed it. For the right, exact right. reasons and, and, you hated it, Rod, and because, and that's valid, Eric. That's okay, okay, fair. yeah, and I, it's valid. not, and I admit to being a huge Park Chan Wook fan, but I, um, I probably went in there, even, which is not fair to the film, really. I went in there with this, with these uh, skeptic notions based off of our chat about the film before, mm-hmm. and 
I came out thinking that, you know what, this is, this is like early Brian De Palma. Like nobody, right. like Brian right. De Palma hasn't made a movie this good in 30 years, you know, or, you know, that's mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. not quite that, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I kind of just was able to enjoy the film for the film and not worry about, Oh, how does this fit into Park Chan-wook's film- filmography? That's good. That's good. That's exactly what I'm advocating for. So totally, I, totally. I, I would, I would say I'm glad. You and know, I'd, I'd also argue, like yeah. And I'd also argue that Stoker is impressive just not to get too lost on this thread, but Stoker's impressive mm-hmm. because it's one of the rare English language debuts by a foreign filmmaker that completely retains the style of that filmmaker. Look at The Last Stand from Kim Ji-Woon earlier this year. That guy isn't exactly like an auteur, but he has a noteworthy style in, in his sure, previous sure. films, like Bittersweet Life, I Saw the Devil, but it's almost completely lost in that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which is not a shit fest, but it's not that great, you know, or it's really <laughs> just not that good. So I just found it impressive on that level too, that this guy had the right situation to keep his weird point of view as messy and, uh, you know, uh, not always making sense as it does. Like it, it's there, it's there in that movie. Part of it, part of it might be just to be a little simple about it is that one is he's working with Fox searchlight. Mm -hmm. The other one is you get it lost a little bit in the Schwarzenegger brand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. See, for me, Stoker is an example of a filmmaker whose style just completely, um, gets in the way of the material. I think, I I think, I think the, the, my main issue with Stoker is that it's presenting this sort of Hitchcockian movie or this Hitchcockian tale, mm-hmm. but completely misunderstanding about what makes Hitchcock films so suspenseful. Mm-hmm. It's that we we see ordinary characters do terrible things, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a powerful thing. But here, everyone in Stoker is a freak show, <laughs> and it's just and it's a freak show on top of like every shot has to be stylized to the degree where I think it just didn't like it's just to me after like five minutes I'm just yeah. like okay like I don't need I thought, to see another you know fabulous fabulously like great camera move or whatever like just tell me the story <laughs> yeah and maybe drop all this artifice because it took me right out like I just didn't care like it's like and also it's, it's, yeah it, it yeah. really and, is and like I mean if I see like another Dutch angle in that movie I'm like <laughs> Strangle someone, you know. But I, I want to go to Corey after I just chime in real quick. I just want to counter that. I think the script for Stoker is pretty terrible, and it I agreed. <laughs> and I honestly think that Park Chun Chan Wook knew this and kind of overloaded his style even more. He made it into a director's movie. It the script is shit. Like it's not to me that movie is not I, that movie is not about the suspense. It's not. Can, it's not well, about I, a hitch that but I don't know. Are, are we projecting com- a bit too much to say that a, a major filmmaker comes to Hollywood, knows the script is shit and makes it anyway? I mean I think <laughs> that's projecting a lot onto like Obviously, yeah. he found something in this script which he wanted to do. I That's don't think true. any I, filmmaker mm-hmm. sees, oh, this is a terrible script, so I'm just going to throw a bunch of Dutch angles in here and it'll be great. <laughs> in spiders. Uh, I mean, obviously, he felt this was a story he could tell. I just don't think he told it well. Okay. I think that's that's fair. Corey, um, I want to give you a chance to talk here, man. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, actually. I uh, – <laughs> I agree. I think the script is shit. It's kind of like 40 min- at least 40 minutes into the movie, it falls apart from making any kind of sense. There's no logical reason why any character would do anything. And the only reason I continue to enjoy it is just because it was such a kind of feast to look at, to listen to, the score, the sound design, the cinematography, the violence. Like it's a I had a great I had a great time in spite of just my rational mind knowing 
you know, this, this doesn't make any sense, but at a certain point I just kind of went with it and the, the fairy tale and, and just thought, uh, I I liked it, even though I agree with, like I said, most of the points in in Rod's review about stuff he didn't. But then here's to. the que- but then here's the question, and this kind of drives back to Rod's point. If this was directed by a first time filmmaker, no one had ever heard of, would you guys be giving it the same appraisal? I believe I actually would. probably would because it's so audacious that a first time filmmaker people fall over first time filmmakers, mm-hmm. and it's so audacious that that they would love it. A better. A better analogy, Kevin, would be if this was done by some guy who'd done three or four movies and he'd done like a lot of like, I don't know, if he was uh, like uh, not considered an auteur, mm. would you have you know, that's, that's Hollywood fair, maybe, you know, yeah. like Mark, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, you know, video game adaptations and then this, you know, then would you. Right, right. I, I think people would have like, I, I'm not saying that the, the, the critical, the you know, response would have been completely different, but I think some people might have treated it a little differently. I think that's fair. And that's where I'm getting into auteurism where it's so slightly damaging because that that was sort of my whole point. I felt like if this wasn't directed by Chenwick Park and was directed by, say, um, Xavier the, Jens. <laughs> P.S.W. Anderson or whatever. Oh, there you That Harmon White loves. If it was directed by him, would everybody love this movie? Would they, or would they say? I'm not saying they wouldn't. Would they say it's a triumph of his, of his style finally coming together? Mm. Um, you know what I mean. I also yeah. feel the way the same way a little bit about the masters. Like I, I feel like certain, you know, like um, would 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 have certain people like this movie if it wasn't directed? If it was just directed by, you know, random foreign film person that you've never heard of, would everyone have gone ape for it? I, I think I would have, um, but I, I think uh, we've got someone on the show here right now that's really apt to talk about this. Um, Corey, <laughs> why don't why don't you talk about it a little bit? Because you are one. I think you're the main guy running Cigarettes and Red Vines. The the I have to admit the awesome Paul Thomas Anderson fan site. Uh, yeah, I I co-run it with another guy, okay. uh, C.J. Wallace, who's been doing it from the beginning. In the last uh, two or three years, I came on and started doing that with him. So I do wear a bit of a different hat over there than, than with the playlist. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't you talk? I mean, what, what do you think as far as what is Rod is getting at with, with the master specifically? Cause I know you love that film. Uh, yeah, I did. And I'll tell you what, the first time I saw it, I didn't love it. I found a lot to appreciate, but it still definitely kept me at a little bit of a distance and it wasn't till maybe a second viewing and a third viewing that I truly started to kind of appreciate what it was and and fully love it. Now the question is, you know, would would I have seen it a second time and given it a second chance? You know, mm-hmm. had it been some uh, director that I wasn't as familiar with, maybe I wouldn't have. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think that changes that the movie's value was kind of there for me to you know pick up on or not. Um, so well, I do yeah, think that. that I, sh- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say that, that to me that proves that or shows that there is some value in the fact that into what we're talking about, there's at least some positive side to it where it never hurts to reevaluate any film you see, whether you Absolutely. liked it first time or second time. Like um, a, a, another thing to reference Roger Ebert is that the guy proved that with his Brown Bunny review that a film, your opinion on a film can change through time or if the film is different than the last time you saw it. And I think there's value in um, being open to the fact that your opinions change through through time. Opinions are absolutely. fluid. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, maybe being a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson got you to to appreciate that film in the way 
it maybe deserves. And I, I do think there's value there. Right. But at and the I same guess... time, is it is there what happens to that other film that you saw yep, yep. by whoever that you just go, well, I don't like that. And I don't know who this guy is and I don't subscribe to that brand or I'm not an adherent of that person. Therefore, I'm not going to give it a second look. And I it just goes into the dustbin of forgotten. Yeah, I, I, one that springs to mind, I just recently saw the Jackie Robinson biopic, 42, which was mm-hmm. written and directed by Brian Helgeland, who's not exactly an auteur, but the dude won an Oscar deservedly for L.A. Confidential script. I mean, he, he wrote at least one amazing script, in my opinion, but that movie, I am never going to think about that movie again. Or, And it's not terrible, but it's not very good. And I'm, I'm kind of done with that movie. I saw it, I left the theater, and I joked about it for a half an hour and then uh, I'm not ever going to watch it again. So that's not really fair to that movie. I admit, I have to admit, uh, Kevin, why don't you a, go? Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, I think um, I agree with Rod in a, in a sense that there is, you know, it's true. I mean, I think all of us here, you know, if we, I mean, we watch so many movies, if there's something that doesn't connect with us, you know, yeah. if, if it's made by like, you know, I don't know, Bob Smith, our chances of revisiting it, probably not, not it's probably not going to be at the top of our priority list mm-hmm. um but at the same time i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong like with rewarding a filmmaker with a second shot <laughs> if you've liked their previous work i mean i think it's just following a natural inclination i mean i think you, you would do that with a band too if they release an album that yeah. maybe you don't love off the first listen you, you'll probably give it another spin at some point because you have that relationship with the band. I think right. you, you have a relationship with a filmmaker. If the master or whatever it is doesn't connect the first time out, I think there's a shot. I mean, that's the way it was for me too. I mean, the first time I saw the master, I was like, it's all right. It's, it's good. But then the second time I picked up on a lot more and it, and it really uh, resonated um, a bit deeper. Now, does that mean I loved it out and out? No, I still, I still think it's a little cold. Uh, I have my little issues with it, but I'm glad I gave it that second chance. So mm-hmm. I, I don't. I guess my my point is that I think we develop relationships to films and filmmakers, and and sometimes it's rewarded with a second viewing. And I don't think that's unnatural, or I think it just comes with the territory of following a filmmaker. Yeah, it's not unnatural, but perhaps it is unfair when we don't do it for the other filmmakers, which is just True. You know, it's too bad. It, yeah, but it is the reality. Yeah, it's not fair. Well, yeah, I guess. I'll, I'll say in addition to just a filmmaker, uh, you know, rewarding it a second viewing, you know, you're not going to give maybe something that's kind of middling or something you outright hate another viewing. But maybe if it's that movie that shows up on all the best of year lists and people won't stop talking about it and mm-hmm. then it ends up on the, you know, decade uh, list, you know, a few years down the line, then it is something that you might want to go back and go, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I will give this a second shot. And I'll say that. You know, in my defense, kind of something that people will ask me from time to time, you know, running the Paul Thomas Anderson site, they go, what would you do if you didn't like the movie? <laughs> and I go, I I don't really know. And luckily, you know, I haven't had to deal with that. But if it's if that's the case, you know, if if I don't like something, then there's really not anything I can do about it. I mean, I, I don't have to review it. But uh, I, I can't trick myself into liking something that I don't like. And I'll mm-hmm. give you the example, which is someone I brought up earlier, Wes Anderson, who at the beginning mm-hmm. of this decade, I was probably just as big a fan of his work. And then it, basically it took three movies for me to kind of fall completely out. And, you know, the first one, Life Aquatic, 
which was uh, I I was kind of saw it. I liked a lot about it, and then there were some things that didn't work, so I was kind of in denial a little bit. <laughs> Darjeeling Limited was kind of like you know it was okay, so I was kind of disinterested. And then Fantastic Mr. Fox, even though I know I'm in the minority, I adamantly just disliked it, and I thought Moonrise Kingdom was his his least successful live action movie. So I I went from you know being a fanboy to being uh, you know, the opposite in a decade. Yeah, Corey, we're lining up a lot today because Moonrise Kingdom is probably, I would say, is his weakest film too, but yet I didn't hate that movie by any means. And I gave it, I think I've watched that two or three times now. Why that one one and not all the other ones? Like, does it have to be the, like, is it because, you know, well, I love this guy, so I like this one a little bit less and I like this one a little, like my least favorite, I think, is the Darjeeling Mm -hmm. because I think it has got the least amount of substance. Um, and it's the least, uh, and, and, and I don't mind it, but I, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just, um, um, so you know what I mean? Like why, why is it the, like, does it take, is it, you love this person and then, and then I love him a little less and I'm, and I, then I love him a little less and then I finally let him go. Like, no, does it has to be that linear? I, I don't know. That's just my question. Because no, I feel no. like, like, yeah. I, I feel like Wes's career and, and I'm a big fan, uh, or was like Corey and I, and, but I don't, I haven't, I, it's for me, it's not done. I, I'm just mm-hmm, still mm-hmm. observing and I don't have, I'm, I'm not on team Wes Anderson or off team <laughs> Wes Anderson. I don't want it to be that black and white. I'm just, uh, uh, and I don't want it to be that black and white about anything. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, and, and I guess that's just my key, my point that I'm going to keep pushing. I, I don't want you know what I mean? Um, I don't think but, that's healthy for in any way. True, mm-hmm. but I, I think there is something to be said about a filmmaker if he has let you down or if you've been not into their work for the past two or three films. I, I think it is valid to be to be kind of just not interested in what no, 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 they're going to do next. I, I guess I was just going to say, if a filmmaker has let you down a few times, I, I don't think it's inconceivable to sort of be... Um, Disappointed. or disappointed or just not into whatever they're going to do next. Like for me, Brian De Palma, he hasn't made a good film in 30 years. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, or what, however long, I'm just using that number. I think Eric said it earlier. Yeah. Um, but like I went to see Passion last year at TIFF and I was looking forward to it. You know, I like both actresses, Rachel McAdams, Numi Rapace, whatever. But it is an awful, terrible movie. <laughs> like it is like straight to DVD, terrible. And uh, See, I know we said no hyperbole, but I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and and I didn't even stay for the whole thing because it was so bad. I just had to do other things. Um, and I think that was a film too that got a lot of passes from a lot of critics because it's Brian De Palma, and they're like, oh, well, he must, you know, he meant to do this and this, and this is such his style. Well, there, there's also there's two things. I mean, one, Brian De Palma going back to Stoker. Um, I guess I, I feel a little bit about passion the way I think maybe Corey and Eric felt about uh, Stoker. It's like I found some of see and, and this is where I, I don't think I don't think Stoker's at all funny, but I think passion is actually really arch and really devilish mm. and, and um, uh, like intentionally? Just, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Oh wow. I disagree um, and, but... <laughs> and, uh, um, its first half is delicious and ridiculous, and that is there's a lot of Paul De, De Palmaites and, and De Palma adherents, and a lot of them love the second half of his career, the one that you're saying is terrible. Um, and again, um, I've been trying to understand that 
because mm-hmm. I don't want to just go, oh my God, these people are retarded. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, and um, and and I think like that first. I think the first half of Passion is is really funny and just like this. Um, ridiculous, over the top, uh, which is what he does. I mean, he take. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny we're we're getting real thematic here because we're talking about Hitchcock and Char- Chandler Park and De-, De Palma, and and De Palma is you know is a he's a Hitchcockite. He took yep. Hitchcock's um, complete you know mo, and then he he and then he put his stamp on it. You know what I mean? And then he applied his his aesthetics to become something different but it you know he was very much a a student of of hitchcock um but any i guess my point is i find passion i I think the second half gets ridiculous to the point where it just it it finally breaks you know what i mean it's bending it's bending bending, and then it breaks i I guess yeah i mean i i guess it really depends because de palma is the kind of guy where he really pushes that to a limit where it either sustains and it holds and it works really well or it doesn't and it kind of falls apart for me the, his his particular tone totally fell apart on passion, but at the same by the same token, I will totally watch Femme Fatale and enjoy it. And it's r- ridiculous. It's it's pretty over the top and terrible. But it's also, I think in that film too, there's a lot of. Re- I, I think his his tone of like, of just always being on the edge of, I don't know, self parody. I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, of- it's a fun, it's a real fine line, right? Yeah. And at the same time, I really dislike. Um, critics, I guess, if they want to say it that way, <laughs> people who put a huge premium on visuals, mm. and that like every film that they love is because it's a visual story, and it's like and that's part of like I, I need I need some sustenance, I need some soul, I I don't just want a visual jerk off, which is part of the reason why um, Stoker leaves me completely cold. And then at the same time, you know, I see value in in, in uh, passion. Uh, because I, I find it has a little bit more texture of, of humor to it. So I, I guess it's always subjective, but it's interesting how we, we bring up all these ideas and, and some contradict some of the others. I, I feel like that's healthy and good. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, just to, to bridge off of what, Rod, you're just saying is, you know, look at To the Wonder. That One of the things I thought of immediately after leaving that film is like, my God, because that film, I think if anybody's given it a pass, it might be because the visuals are, as always in a Malick film, they're beautiful. But do you guys think that he'd be better served if he made like a Baraka or Koyana Skatsi and just ditched narrative altogether and just made like wordless, not necessarily nature documentaries, but like, you know, art documentaries? Uh, uh, oh, come maybe, on. He'd, uh, he'd make I the think... best version of Baraka. He'd he'd make I just think I don't know. To me, he's interested. I don't think he's interested. No, I think no. I think he's interested in ideas. I mean, I think he's a great visualist. He always kind of has been. But for me, what made Tree of Life and To the Wonder interesting are are uh, the ideas in them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I just want to watch a bunch of pick like a montage, then I guess I'll go watch Baraka or whatever. But, but for me, what makes, what makes tree of life into the wonder compelling or, or that he's, he's, he's reaching out to try and address some pretty weighty issues. And agreeably, I agree. He doesn't always hit it and he doesn't always make it clear. And it's maybe not be the most concise narrative. I think for me personally, as a, as a movie watcher, I, I just find that reach in and of itself kind of fascinating and enjoyable to watch. Yeah, his ambition is always impressive, and it's going to keep me going to watch all of his movies, which leads me to another point of that. 
you know, De Palma's another one too. I, I don't like his movies anymore, but I'm always gonna, you guys just made me want to see Passion. I had so little interest, but I'm going to watch that whenever I get a chance, you know? It's so, juicy and, and, and yeah. fun in the beginning. I'll watch the second half at some point, I guess. <laughs> That's fair. That You owe it to the movie, Kevin. Come on. Um, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I um, think you do. I, I think you do. And I think as well, you never reviewed it, so that's good. But honestly, Well, no, I, wouldn't, I, I would never review a movie I didn't see the whole thing of. Good man, good man. Uh, Corey, uh, any filmmakers that you think have become, you know, besides a Wes Anderson that you described, that maybe are we could cite as they've kind of become a parody of themselves, which I think you could argue is something that uh, maybe happened with Terrence Malick with To the Wonder? Off the top of my head, no, other than the kind of uh, the two that we've been discussing. Maybe. I got but one for I, you, I don't Corey. I know that it's... Okay, yeah, go ahead. And I think you'll be able to talk about it specifically because you saw at TIFF last year Francis Ford Coppola's Twixt, correct? Oh, that was, yeah, the uh, year before, actually. Okay, okay. And I'm assuming there's a reason we have not been able to see that movie (laughs) in certain theaters uh, now. And I think I remember you saying that that was the worst movie you saw at Toronto. And we don't need to get into the hyperbole of that, of course, but maybe talk about how Francis Ford Coppola maybe has become a parody of himself. I don't know that I would. I, I don't know that I would chalk that up to. It doesn't anything. fall actually, in line. Okay. Yeah. No. I actually admire what he's done. I mean, his last three movies, for ev- for however much I enjoyed or or didn't think they were successful. Yeah. I yeah. I don't I don't think he should be on some different path, and I'm not disappointed in you know Twixt or or you know um, uh, Youth Without Youth because I feel like he should be making something on the scale of the godfather apocalypse now mm-hmm. i like that he's kind of tried to get back to his roots i just didn't feel that twixt was a necessarily uh successful way to do that um did, did you get to but, see that uh, in 3d it, by the way i'm sorry <laughs> yeah it, i think it was about 10 five or 10 minutes were in 3d did yeah. you get the edgar Allan poe mask or whatever or was that just comic-con that was at Comic-Con, which I, I was actually at that panel also. Yeah, because so weren't people excited after that panel? and then Oh, they really were, yeah. And then, and then they saw it at Toronto, and I heard nothing about that movie for so long. So Yeah, I mean, he talked about doing a um, kind of cross-country tour where they would kind of remix the movie live as it was happening. And On an it's going to happen in the fall. And yeah, and it, it never happened. I haven't heard anything about it I since think Toronto. The, I think it just got such like you know mediocre reviews at toronto i think that a lot of those ambitious ideas which probably just the enthusiasm for those may have dissipated and you know there's obviously not a lot of distributors who want to get behind a film like that if it had been a huge hit yeah i bet you those things would have happened Mm -hmm. but um it's almost worse than than terrible and worse than it's in that horrible uh purgatory space where it's it's uh people just forgotten and it's not even like hated or loved it's just kind of there and and that's that's sad yeah it's a bad space for it so he may never you know maybe he'll get some sort of like self-distribution like um uh carith is doing with uh upstream color which is well yeah coppola is fully capable of doing that i mean he funds these movies himself he could do that and i i was being a little facetious when i led into coppola because i'm actually He's sort of a bit of a counter to what we're getting at, where or he's he's a filmmaker that's trying to maybe not reinvent himself, but sort of reignite his fervor and his yeah, his energy I of think... youth, you know. And I actually really like Tetro. His Tetro his sort... is like is 
one of my favorite uneven films. Yes, dude. Yes. It is like really uneven, but it is one of my favorites. And mm-hmm. it is. It's messy, right? Like we talked about It's really before. messy. And uh, but it, yeah. it's got so much emotional value to it. And man, by the time that movie was done, I, I was emotionally kind of floored by some oh, of I'm it. I'm with you. I'm with you, man. For sure. I, mean, I feel the same way actually about Youth About Youth. Mm-hmm. Youth. Uh, it's not a perfect film by any means, but I think it's really fascinating and interesting. And when it works, I think it's really powerful stuff. Um, you know, I think the exciting thing about Coppola, you know, even if his, you know, if Tetro and Youth Without Youth and Twix don't work all the way through, I mean, at least he's he's reaching out and like mixing it up uh i mean like lucas for the last god knows how long has kept saying he wants to go and make yeah his, these little experimental films and go back to what he did at the beginning of his career but he hasn't at all so yeah but I do you know. think that'll happen now that he sold his star wars I, empire i don't know i, I kind of just don't care um, I, I know i don't really either but hey if he, if does, he does like if he does i'll be totally there and we're interested. there yeah absolutely um will he actually do it uh we'll see i mean Every yeah. time he tries to step away from Star Wars, he, in, he inevitably pulls back in. So. Yeah, he's like Pacino in Godfather 3. Um, Something like that, yeah. Um, here's another one I'd like to throw out there, guys, that I think is the worst example or just um, a filmmaker that has truly become a parody of themselves and is I just don't care about anymore. Tim Burton. Mm. Just never been much of a fan. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Not even like Edward Scissorhands or Ed Wood? Yeah, or... yeah, I like those movies. And I, I guess... I guess yeah, maybe what you're saying is right. He's be- I I just don't feel like he's a. He's got like a, maybe like three or four movies that I think are really great, and that's it. But I don't think I ever consider myself like, like you know, like I don't like those Batman movies. I never yeah. liked them at the time. They haven't aged um, well. Uh, Disagree. I like- <laughs> oh. Corey, yeah, no, like, I, I yeah. like the Tim I like the Tim Burton yeah. Batman movies. Dude, All Batman right. Returns is solid, but his first Batman is not I've never terrible. been able to sit through the second one. Oh, the, DeVito's great as Pen- I I like I like the sequel. I think it's better I, I think, than his first one actually. I just think the thing with Tim Burton is he just for the past decade got lost in Tenpole land. Um, he's become George well, he's Lucas. He's also even before yeah. he wasn't before he wasn't uh, lost in Tenpole land, he was just so one note. Yeah, but couldn't you say that about Wes Anderson? Even the films yeah, that he loves. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe I just never liked that. No. Yep. Agree. That's yeah, sort of no, what it comes I, down to. I think to. he he's, he sits in a very particular niche, but that niche for me is interesting when it when it, when it comes together well. But for me, he's just been lost in sort of I don't know, kind of boring tentpoles that I'm just not interested in. Um, well, like, but I think, I think what he signed up to do his next film is like kind of going back to his Ed Wood days. I mean, it's a straight up drama. Yeah. So that to me. Who yeah, and it, Ed Wood too. Yeah, oh, so okay. that to me, that's really interesting. So I mean, I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. So, hey, Rod, you said that the yeah. film is written by the same writers of Ed Wood. I believe so. I believe it's the the same writers who did Ed Wood, and I think Ed Wood is his best film aside from Pee Wee Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I think they need to put out like a ten disc Criterion. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> I yes. think it's like one of the greatest movies they ever should, made. They should do it with the show. They could Criterion could do an awesome package deal. Also, that. you know, and I'm being completely sincere. Like, also just as a screenwriting thing, like if anyone wants to learn, like you want a perfect example of three act structure, like yes. study that film. It's like it's brilliant. I like it. Very nice, um, Corey. I felt like you were going to chime in there earlier, and you got cut off. Anything you wanted to say about Tim Burton or? Yeah, I I was I mean he was 
my entire childhood, basically, from Pee Wee to Beetlejuice to the Batman movies to Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, all of that stuff was a big part of me growing up and, and just really loving kind of all those movies. And then beyond Ed Wood, I think I loved uh, Sleepy Hollow. But other than that, mm. it's been 20 years since I've really cared for um, any of his movies, which is a bummer. And it's hard to say what exactly to chalk that up to. I mean, obviously, some of the, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Ugh. tentpole type stuff, You, it's easy to kind of point out why that doesn't work. But then on the other hand, even something like Frankenweenie, which on paper is like, it's his idea, you know, it's it's going to be more personal, it's going to be in his wheelhouse, and I just didn't think that worked either, and I think maybe part of it is just kind of him being beholden to mm -hmm. uh, being a director who doesn't really know what a good script is, and I guess he kind of lucked out earlier in his career by getting, oh, Edward Scissorhands also, God, yes, about that. Yes, that's my favorite. Just great, and uh, but he just hasn't gotten any for a long time, and, and has fully admitted in interviews he doesn't know the difference. So it, that, I think that's one of the differences between, you know, writer directors and directors who are beholden to, you know, the material is, you know, you can see why in every script he picks, he's attracted to certain elements, but whether it comes together or not is kind of, um, only partially in his control really. I yeah, guess. Uh, yeah. And I actually thought to tie it back a little bit, one of the things when I was watching Stoker, I thought this is what, if Tim Burton had taken a different turn in his career, this is maybe what uh, he'd be doing. Yeah. You know, some of those horror gothic elements. And that would have been, uh, I think a really interesting sort of movie. I mean, one of the biggest disappointments is that Tim Burton has never made an out and out horror movie. Sleepy yes. Hollow is probably the closest he's gotten to it. Um, what about you know, the, uh, what's the musical he made? What about the musical? Sweeney Todd, you know, but that's a musical and, yeah, and there are horror true. elements for sure. And Sleepy Hollow has some horror elements, but like, you know, a straight up horror movie. And it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a modern horror. It can still be inspired by, you know, Mario Bava or who, whoever else. Ooh, but it would yeah. be great to see him just do, you know, a full on horror movie without a wink and without, you know, God, what was the Dark Shadows last oh. summer, the kind of soap <laughs> opera elements and just stuff that is not working for him. You right know, when, now, you, but... when you bring up Sweeney Todd and, and, and you think, if you said to me, Tim Burton's going to make a horror musical. I'm like there. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like so awesome to me. Yep. But Sweeney Todd was, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not a huge Sod, Soddenheim, however you Sondheim. Sondheim fan. So, but it just left me kind of like, I, there was elements of it I liked and I think it had a good sense of humor, but um, I didn't completely love it. I think his last films from, God, definitely this past decade, but even further back to even Sleepy Hollow, I'd say, they all sound awesome on paper, especially as a Tim Burton movie. And in execution with the bigger budgets he gets, he's just so much less interesting because he's such a great craftsman. When he had to like build puppets and use makeup to create his effects in his older films, that he's a filmmaker that for me works better in the tactile world, not the digital realm. And uh, also I think Nightmare Before Christmas is a really interesting one to bring up because of course he didn't direct that movie. Henry Selleck did. And I think part of the danger of auteur worship is that yes. he's being credited yes. for something by everybody thinks that's a Tim yeah. Burton movie and it's yeah. not, it's a fucking Absolutely. Henry Selleck movie, you know? Yeah. And I just think that's a little dangerous there, but I mean, Corey, I'm not saying I, I'm sure you knew that, or you, you didn't, you yeah. meant to say that. I didn't mean to imply that you, you were doing that, but that is a dangerous thing that the general audience thinks that's a fucking Tim Burton movie. And it's, it's not, it's a Henry. Selleck you know, movie. but may, maybe, maybe we're getting into the exact thing, same thing that we're trying to avoid is just like, 
this auteurism, we keep talking about these filmmakers. What do you think about this guy? And what do you think about his brand? And how has his brand like evolved over the years? Or how has it sustained itself? Or how has it, um, is it as valuable to you as it always been? Is that, is that dangerous again? Are we getting into this? You know, one thing no. that I would love to do, I would love, and, and I want someone to hopefully listen and, and, and take me up on this. It'll never happen. I want to do the <laughs> Blind t- Taste Test Film Festival. Yes. I want Paul Thomas Anderson. I want some of these huge big tours to make films. And you go in oh. and it's like, but you don't have any clue who directed what. There's no credits. Yes. And and uh, it's the Blind Taste t- Film Taste Test Cinema Festival. And everybody, you see like 20 films and but but like you know, uh, I guess people would participate, but you don't even know going in. You have no clue. You just have an inkling that, like, because maybe like the first year gone by, and then you found out after the fact that David Fincher made something, and yeah, you know, and then Paul S. W. Anderson made something, and and it's free of all that, uh-huh. and you just go in and you see movies, and you have no clue who did them. I think like you cannot get any more, um, and then people review those, and then you do not. It's not revealed until after the fact. That is a I think that fucking be, great idea. <laughs> I, I think that would be so awesome. Well, maybe the playlist needs to get into uh, festivals or programming like something like Twitch or, you know, like the Alamo Draft House because it's a really good idea, man. Uh, would never happen, but I, I, hey, God, you don't know. I, I would love to just see someone go, I fucking hated that movie. And then they find out afterwards is their favorite filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just like, I, I would just laugh. Over oh. that would that would be my. I dream. think you just want to see some people with egg on their face. <laughs> um, yes, but also at the same time, uh, I also would just think, don't you think that's fascinating, like experiment? And, and oh like yeah, as, a, as an experience, would, it would be really fun. Don't, yeah, don't you for think sure. it'd be interesting how people would just treat things, potentially, not necessarily, absolutely, but potentially different because they had no idea who it was made by. I think it's it's definitely going to lead to a lot more honesty from even all of us. I think because. Well, I think, I think just, it's hard to avoid the love that we do have or the dislike we have for a filmmaker. While we all do try to go in open-minded, and we should, that's something we need to strive for, you know, when we're right. critically evaluating a film. I think or that just, baggage exists in everything, everybody, and I think that's part of our conversation here. Yep. Is to just well, explore that, you know? Ahead, I, I don't think there's necessarily any good or bad here, again, in our discussion of this. I think it's an exploration of this topic. I think, yep. I think what Rod is maybe driving at is that tourism or or the sort of brand devotion sort of just gets in the way of yeah sort of that sense of pure discovery you know like kind of mm-hmm. like when you're flipping around maybe late at night and you're and you catch a movie halfway through and you have no idea what it is but it's awesome and you just sit there yeah and you're and you just kind of and then you figure out oh it's this or this or this i think i think what we're really trying to strive here for is uh, at least for me like they're great what keeps me interested in movies is that sense of discovery. Um, and I think there's a, I, and I think, you know, cause we cover news and this and that, that a lot of noise gets in the way of that sometimes. Agreed. And so, I mean, and the last, I mean, I think yeah. of a filmmaker that we, we definitely champion on, on the playlist with his, his first three films is Ben Wheatley was like this discovery for me. And I think all of us, uh, when, when I saw down terrace, I was just like, who is this guy? Like, I can't <laughs> wait to follow him. And he has not disappointed me with three films. I've loved his his first three films a lot, and hopefully I don't get too lost in in my personal affection for him as a filmmaker. But that was a 
wonderful sense of discovery. And now I'm, I'm already a little worried that maybe I'm liking, you know, I'm, I, I need to give him a fair shot with each film, you know, it, it can happen right. to everybody. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. You know, at the same time, I think it's funny that we're, we're discussing this and people on the outside might go like, well, yeah, but you guys all like this. You know I mean? <laughs> oh, they'll do that. They'll and, do that. And, and, and I think by proxy of what we do and by nature of what we do, um, and by nature of what we cover, um, I, I think it always, and this is just, I guess what happens is like a distillation happens and then it's like these guys like these things. And I think there's probably some sort of truth to that. Just like as you would say, well, you know, that blog, they like those things. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I think – and maybe these podcasts are, are, are good because you we get time to explore and, 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 and I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it just it can end up being reductive. Yeah. Um, um, and, and it can just be sort of like, well, I guess it's to my point a little bit too about brands and identity. Like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is like, um, well, I read so-and-so site because they define what I like and, and what I like defines me. Yeah. Um, and, and I find that's a part of O-Tourism and, and maybe, uh, dangerous maybe is a little hard of a word, but it's just part of this thing that I've been thinking about a lot. I even think about it in terms of social media, in terms of Every yep. day we're broadcasting our identity, what we like, what we dislike, how we every like, every share, everything is a is a reinforcement of my identity. I am gonna tweet about this and tweet about that, and mm -hmm. that that can uh, I think some of that ties into the brand. Like you're almost trying to reinforce that, hey, I love this thing, and here I am tweeting about it, and and. And I think some some of that stuff can be a little bit. Um, it affects the 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 conversation and the discourse too, because it's like it's just like you know the race to um, to say something after um, a movie on Twitter. Like I even myself, like you know, I used to be like, I'm not going to tweet anything about this movie. You're going to read the review, and that's what's going to be. But I found myself after Sundance feeling. Um, feeling compelled to put something out there because everybody else does but it's not in my nature to like I, for a long time I was always like why tweet out your review because then that ends up being your review it's like uh -huh. um, uh -huh. it's like your 140 characters are defined uh, your definition of that film or your your defined take on that film and I feel like in some ways, I don't want to do that because I want a review that is hopefully more nuanced and more flavored to give all my thoughts on the film that hopefully have more than just this is good or bad. Agreed. Um, Agreed. So I guess in a way, this is how I feel about brands and identity and how these well, things can be. Right. You're, you're also speaking to a cultural shift, too, where, you know, in the like when we were growing up, we don't have like. When, I think when all of us were growing up, we didn't have internet and social media. So we mm -hmm. went to see a movie. We left the movie. Maybe we talked about it with our few friends, but it would coalesce in our mind and, and we'd think about it more. And then as we discussed it further, the ideas and thoughts we had about it would build up. Now we're in an age where you're right, where people come out of a movie, they put, I love this, I hated this, you know, whatever. And then it's, then that's it. That's the conversation. Yep. So I think we're, I think what we're, I think what maybe Rod's driving at is, um, maybe something there's something to be said about having discussions rather than reactions when it comes to film. At what point does kind of a relationship between the viewer and the filmmaker kind of uh, cal 
Falsifier just become, I mean, if I see one movie and I love it, am I automatically on that director's team? Does it take a second movie, a third movie? I mean, at what point does it go from I enjoyed that to now you're kind of on board with seeing whatever they're going to do next? And I'd be interested to see at what point that happens um, for people. You know, where's the line, basically? Yeah, I think it's really complex. And if we've hopefully if we've gotten anything across to listeners and hopefully other readers of, of the playlist is that it's way more complex than that. And it's let's let's embrace the grays, not the black and white, like Rod said, and encourage discussion, because I think. Look, I mean, Twitter and all these things are great tools, but it is reductive and use all that. It's effective to communicate what you think. But I think the most healthy thing is a discussion and a curiosity for these films. And um, also, uh, I encourage anybody to read reviews, negative reviews of films they love or positive reviews of films that they hate because I learned more about my feelings on Park Chan-wook and Stoker than I ever have based off of knowing Rod's reactions and reviews and talking to him about it before I saw the film. And I'm a, I am a much more artic- I have a much more articulate opinion on that film as a result, and I think that's a really good, healthy thing um, that we can all agree on. So yeah, I think I think that's a really great place for us to wrap up here, guys. Um, I want to thank Corey Everett for coming on. Corey, where can, um, of course, we can find you writing and doing things for the playlist, but um, you know, where else can people find you online? Uh, you can check out all your Paul Thomas Anderson news at Sigs uh, <laughs> and Red Vines blogspot, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, modage m o d a g e. Okay, and uh, Kevin, where can we find you on Twitter? We know you're on playlist. The playlist. I forgot my Twitter handle. <laughs> I don't know. I never use that account. Just I'll be on. I'm on the playlist Twitter, and uh, I'm obviously on the site. That's I've good. been trying to think of my own personal Twitter because I I sometimes think I tweet things that are probably like. Inappropriate. I probably should, yeah, <laughs> I'm an inappropriate person. Let's put it. Um, but I, I was hoping to find uh, a solo place to, to, to tweet inappropriate places, but I still haven't come up with a good name. But yeah, so. I think I think you need to do that. But otherwise, people can find Rodrigo Perez uh, on Twitter at at the playlist. Correct. Yeah. And of course, all the work we do uh, on the playlist, which is part of the IndieWire blog network. You can find me, Eric McClanahan, on Twitter at Adjust Your Track, which is uh, my other podcast I do weekly. Check that out if you like. Um, with that, I really want to thank all three of you guys who have been really generous with your time. And it's it's fun when we get together to chat about these big topics. And uh, I'm really proud of this one. So uh, good work, guys. Yeah, thanks again, guys. Have a good day. Cool. Thanks, right. man. Take, Take care. Easy. Bye. Bye. And just lastly, if you guys will allow me uh, to, to just completely be ironic and counter with uh, what I think is kind of reductive but kind of fun, and you guys can t- squash this if you think it's stupid, but can we, fin- <laughs> can we finish by saying, by each citing a moment from To the Wonder, if you have one, that isn't a pure example of how Malik is maybe becoming a parody of himself, or is that, is that, too, <laughs> is that stupid? That's a little silly. Oh, all right. Unless, I don't know, what did Ke- Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, Kevin, because you liked it a lot. I, th- I think I don't want. Oh, I just don't. Uh, I haven't seen it in like a year, so I'm kind of okay. But I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Like, 
I don't know. I don't know. I, also, I don't yeah, know. you know, as part of this discussion, if you're going to say we should be open and everything, and now <laughs> let's know. talk about the thing that's the most parody-like, that's <laughs> I know, I a know. pretty big contradiction. I'm sorry. I'm just going to indulge myself. The fucking scene where Rachel McAdams has rope tied around her hands, and she goes, I trust you. Like, that gave me a huge <laughs> eye roll. But even worse, I have to say, the, I hated the moment in Tree of Life where the mask is floating in the ocean at the end. Like, I think that is such a generic pretentious shot but it was beaten by the shot of rachel mcadams like wandering through the dark house in like a nightmare and she sees a like baby doll in a crib and the light just passes over it i don't even know if you guys remember it but i just saw the movie nope. but, oh well i don't remember i thought right. about a week ago but i would say you know <laughs> tree of life man like in comparison and i hate to compare but i think tree of life is like massively sustenance heavy and, and nutritious compared to the wonder agreed I, I, me too agreed agreed to the wonder has value too i just feel like part of it is that that movie is like it's trying to capture ephemeral things and then therefore it becomes ephemeral and there's just very little to latch on to mm. agreed and i I, I said at the top of the show that i do i still stand by i think it's so far one of the worst movies i've seen this year but i think there's a lot of value in that film as well and you guys have definitely kind of made me think about that even more and consider it. And um, I didn't mean to be so reductive to the film because it's, it's seriously, it is worth it's okay. talking. Stoker it's the Lacker. worst movie of the year, but I'm open. <laughs> I, got an open I am. I mean, can I, can I will I have... say that Stoker is actually probably the worst movie I've seen this hey, year. But... And fair enough. And, but Rob, yeah. seriously though, can I, can I have both opinions? Can I think that it's terrible, but totally worth talking for an hour and a half about? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Cause I, like, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to uh, <laughs> to articulate how I feel about Stoker because I'm not I, I you got it, it out there thing? yeah I got it out of my system so I don't I have no I have zero hate towards Stoker yeah uh, that's what I mean no, I, that's what I mean I don't too hate, I don't hate it either I just think it's colossally misguided that's okay that is exactly what I intend what I mean to say about to the wonder.